I was pondering this idea, God with us. We say it so easy and so lightly, don't we? Because we say, Emmanuel, we know that means God with us. And you begin to think, well, is it unique in our time? Is it unique when Jesus came? Was God always with man? And what does that mean? Because some men are not responsive. Some people are not responsive to this idea of God with them. They reject that. But I want to take you through some of the scriptures that God has given us in his word about God with us. And then we're going to begin to explain what does it mean to have God with us. In Isaiah chapter 7 and 14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this was written in 700 B.C. So 700 years before Christ, there was this prophecy that there was coming a virgin, a particular virgin, that was going to give birth to someone who was going to be God with us. In John chapter one and verse 14, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and full of truth. In Matthew chapter one and verse 22, it says, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord through the prophets, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, when you dig into the Hebrew writings, you find something very interesting because they say that the human race is divided into three categories. As you listen to these, I want you to think about the life you live, the world that you live in, your own self and people around you. Because here's what they said, the first category are the righteous, and this is the Zadokim. The Zadokim are interesting because these are the ones that God calls righteous, and they possess primarily three things, love, generosity, and justice. We also understand that righteousness was seen by them is not an option, but an obligation. If you fall into this category of the righteous, it's not like I get to choose if I wanna be righteous. I have an obligation before God to be righteous. And it was of these, the Zadadim, that God said he would be with the Zadadim. He doesn't ever promise to be with all people. He promises to be with the righteous. It doesn't mean he's not God. It doesn't mean he's not drawing people into his presence and wants all people to come into that world of the Zadadim. Let me give an example in Genesis 7.1. It says, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household. I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. That's a Zadadim. We know from, from just our study of the word of God that, that not everyone went into the ark. Only Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And so somehow God shows us by example, what does it mean to be a Zadadim? The second category is the indifferent. And the indifferent are those who don't care about the things of God, or they say, yeah, whatever, it's good for you, but it's not good for me. They're good people. They're not necessarily bad people at all. In fact, they're people that you would probably love to have as your neighbor. The difference is they haven't come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they don't walk in the faithfulness of God. I begin to use this term uh, periodically, and people always come up and say, well, help me to understand that. I said, true Christians will walk with God. 
And they say, why do you use the word true? I said, because a lot of people call themselves Christians. In fact, on planet Earth, two billion people say they're Christians. That's a lot of Christians. Where are they? Well, clearly they moved out of California, amen? They're all in Idaho and Nashville and Florida and Texas or wherever they go. But you see, the whole point is there's a large group of people. In fact, most people are those who fall into the category of the indifferent. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're gonna have to go down that narrow road because broad is the road that leads to destruction and few there be that find me. So the idea is that most people are not going to find God, not because God doesn't want to be found, because they don't want to be found. The third category is a category of evildoers, and this is Rashaim. And these, that are, these are ones that intentionally do evil. These are the ones that not only approve of evil, but they encourage others to do evil as well. The Bible talks about them in Romans 1. It says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and they heartily approve of those who do unrighteousness. So as you think about the categories of men, let me just walk you in, what does it mean to be righteous and encounter God? When we say we encounter God, or God is with us, or we sense we're walking in the presence of God, what exactly does that mean? In Matthew chapter one, in verse 18, it says the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a Zadadim, a righteous man, a just man, was not wanting to make a public example, but minded to put her away secretly. But but while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now imagine this scenario. You're engaged to, betrothed to, this woman who all of a sudden becomes pregnant, and you know it's not you. It's kind of one of those startling moments in the life of a person where you, you're, you're pondering, what do I do? And it says, because he was a righteous man, because he was a Zadadim, He decided he would not make, as the law would allow, a public display of her. He would not humiliate her. He was a good man. And and God saw that goodness before ever he was announced, that Mary announced she was pregnant. He saw that goodness in Joseph, and he selected Joseph for a very definite reason. And then when the Holy Spirit came, said, don't be afraid, don't turn away. That which is conceived in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. And so real and so radical was this encounter that Joseph had with this angel of the Lord that it instantly convinced him. You see, when you have a God encounter, it's different than a religious experience. When you have a God encounter, it's transformational. You walk away and you say, I don't know what that was, but that was the face of God. That was the voice of God. That was the hand of God. That was different than going through the motion as a believer in Jesus Christ. And it says, he goes on to say, and she shall conceive a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this was a long-awaited promise of the Old Testament that there was coming a Messiah. That Messiah would come, and he would look different than the people of Israel thought he would look. 
They thought he would be a conquering king. They thought he would be a victorious warrior, and he would be, but they didn't see the first coming. They only saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. And let me just say that next week is the 31st, and I'm going to preach a message on a prophetic glimpse. What does the Bible say prophetically about America and about the world in the days ahead for 2024? So don't miss this message. It's really the basis of my new book that's coming out in April called It's Midnight in America. I want to encourage you to be here for that. Now, when we look at this, he's going to save his people from their sins. They didn't see the cross. They didn't see the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that he was pierced through for our transgressions, and by his stripes are we healed. Do you know that the promise of that passage in Isaiah 53 is a promise not just of salvation, the removal of guilt, the penalty of sin, it's also the promise of healing. That God wants us to understand that he wants to bring about healing. And sometimes that healing happens differently than we think. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes it's over a period of time. Sometimes it's in a different way that we could ever imagine. But God is a God of promises, and what we want to do is never fail to lean into the promises of God, even when it doesn't appear that God is working. That's faith, isn't it? You see, faith is not walking by sight, right? It's walking by faith. It's walking without sight. Let me go on. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22. All of this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet of the Lord, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name, here it is again, Emmanuel, God with us. I found it very comforting just to say these words to myself. God is with me. I want you to say that to yourself right now. Just say it out loud. God is with me. It, it's different when we personalize it and we bring it down to who we are, right? Instead of God with us, no, God is with you. And you see, when you, when you let that kind of soak into your sp spirit and soul, it makes a difference. God is with me. If God is with me, what does that mean? How does that change my life? Well, God encounter changes your priorities altogether. If God is with you, then you look at life differently, your perspective different, but your priorities are different. Let's look at the star that the wise man saw in Matthew chapter two. It says, behold the star which they, the wise man had seen in the east, went before them till it stood over the young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Now, this is an unusual development here, if you think about it. They had been on a journey for four to five months to get from Babylon to the place where Jesus was. They had sacrificed a lot just to make that journey alone. And they instantly, they had an awareness that they had encountered God. You see, encountering God is different than being a Christian going through the motions. We want to have a God encounter in our life that it's so radical that it changes us. That we're not the same because we met God, that we saw God, that we sat in a, you know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and fools despise knowledge and understanding. You see, the fear of God is not to be afraid of God, it's the idea I have a respect of God for who God is. God is God, and I'm not. The first time you can say that and really believe it, it's transformational, amen? Also, God does what he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants, and he doesn't have to give an explanation. He's God. 
When God is on your resume, it makes a difference. God can change things. He can do more in 30 seconds than you can do in 30 years. But you have to trust in the Lord with all your strength and lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And it says they rejoiced, they fell down, they worshiped, and when they had opened the treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They've calculated the average gift that would have been given by a Babylonian uh, wise man to a king in that day, and they put it in today's money. It would be in the millions of dollars that were given there. You see, when you change your priorities, it changes the way you view time. Have you ever noticed how there's one thing we don't have anything of? What is it? Time. How you doing? I'm just so busy. I don't have any time. I talk to men all the time. I say, have you read the Bible? I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm running out of what? Time. If you ever see me out there running, you know it's I'm running out of time. I'm not running, amen? <laughs> I run out of money. But you see, I have all the time that anybody else on planet Earth has time. How do they have time to do what they do? It has to do with your priorities. If you prioritize your life, your time, you always have time for God, but if you haven't had a God encounter, then that time seems like a waste of time. But when you have a God encounter, there's, no much, there's, there's so much time that you have, but you want to give as much time as you can to the one who created time, the one who's before time and after time, the one who pulls all things into the eternal now and everything is present tense because you're always in the presence of God. That's why God revealed himself to Moses as the great I am. Who are you? I am. I am always present tense in your life. I'm never past tense. I'm always present tense. What do you need? I am what you need. Call upon me. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says. You see, it's also the way that you view justice. Remember in the Zadadim, it was how they looked at love and how they looked at justice. Do you realize that justice is a major component of being a righteous person? In other words, you can't look the other way from injustice. The great movements of God, the, the release of people from slavery came because of believers who had a conviction from God that that was an unrighteous thing to hold people in slavery. It's the, it was from the righteous who said it's wrong to abort babies. If you go back through all of these things, all these great movements, they were because somebody with a righteous heart who had a God encounter said we've gotta say no to this. I was reading this from a rabbi. It says, Rabbi Prince, he said, when I was a rabbi in the Jewish community in Berlin under the Hitler regime, I learned many things. The most important was that bigotry and hatred are not the most urgent problem. The most urgent, the most disgraceful, the most shameful, and the most tragic problem is silence. You see, you may not commit any sin, but if you're silent in the midst of it, what does that say about justice? If we're going to be that righteous, that Zadadim, we have to speak up for the brokenhearted. We have to speak up for the injustices in our world. We have to say no, and that's not right, and we're going to do something about it. In fact, our whole nation was built on the foundation of the Judeo-Christian faith that said some things are right and some things are wrong. And then we establish something called the rule of law. Why? Because we have a king, he has a kingdom, and he has laws that govern the kingdom. And every kingdom has to have that to be a true kingdom. 
In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, it says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. See, you know the difference between good and bad, don't you? You can sense it sometimes. You can feel it sometimes. That's, that's just not right. I don't know what to do about it, but I know that's not right. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What if you just took that verse and said, this is my life verse for 2024. I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk, do justly, I'm going to love mercy, and I'm going to walk humbly with my God. You see, those are the characteristics of a Zadadim, of a righteous person. See, not all Christians are Zadadims. Some are indifferent. It also changes the way you view your possessions. You heard me say, I, I love when I'm playing with my grandchildren, and it's, it's kind of the, the bad part of Phil, but I like to say that's mine, and they say it's mine, and we have this tug-of-war over stuff. And I know it's this human nature in us that just wants to hold on to everything. Can I tell you, the harder you hold on to something, the less grip you have on it? The more you release it, the more power, the more opportunity you have. In fact, let me just give you a couple of ideas here. Abraham, you remember Abraham in the Old Testament? He encountered someone named Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And after that encounter, he had a God encounter. After that God encounter, here's what Abraham said. I will not take anything that is yours. And he gave him a tenth of all that he had, and he called him the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. You see, it changes, that God encounter changed his whole perspective on his possessions. How about Zacchaeus, remember him? He encountered the Lord. And he said, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. You see, a God encounter changed the way he viewed his possessions. There was one by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. He came and he asked for the body of Jesus. He offered his new tomb, carved out of stone, that he might be buried there. And it says that he carried the body of Jesus to the tomb, not only did he carry the body, he paid for all the burial, a very, very costly endeavor indeed. Do you know that when you read in the Revelation, it says all of heaven has a God encounter? Do you realize the ultimate God encounter will come when you stand face to face with Almighty God, whether it's in his return or whether it's in your death, you're going to see Jesus. Now think about that truth right there. I want to see Jesus. You will see Jesus, but you don't have to wait until you die or he comes back to see Jesus. The Bible says we with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God and we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of God is what brings transformation in your life. It's what brings you into the place of Zadadim. It's what causes you to stand upright before. It's what causes you to be bold in your prayers and confident before God. But in heaven it says that when the Lamb of God takes his throne, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they take the crowns from their heads and they cast them at the feet of Jesus and they sing a new song unto him. You see, God changes you when you have a God encounter. You know one of the changes is? Is anticipation. If you don't live your life with anticipation, what do you live it with? With no hope. Anticipation comes from a Latin word. It means to see, to expect, to realize in advance, to take possession in advance. I think 
that if you walk with God, you should have more anticipation than anyone else about everything in life. You should look at your children, your grandchildren, your grandchildren with anticipation. Why? Because you're gonna see in advance what they're gonna take possession of. That's why it says that uh, a father leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Why? Because it's generational. There's another idea that we have, and that is enthusiasm. You should be the most enthusiastic people in the world. You should not look like you need to be revived by some electric shock. You ought to be excited, be enthusiastic, because the Latin word, and it's used in the Bible, is God is within or God-inspired. You know what enthusiasm is? It comes from a word meaning in God. If God is in you, how can you not be excited? I met Christians, and I go like, are you Christian? Yeah. You pretty excited about Leah? I'm going, how in the world can God come in you and you act like that? You look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Amen? We ought to be enthusiastic about our faith. And then there's optimism. It comes from a French word. It means the best. Belief that God will prevail over evil. That's what an optimist is. That evil will not triumph over good, but good will triumph over evil. That's what it means to be an optimist. You say, well, you're just optimistic about everything. I am. I do live in the clouds at sometimes. I do, you know, I was always guilty of daydreaming in school. That's why I got less than straight A's. I won't tell you how much less, but I got less than straight A's, amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was always smarter than the teacher. How many can relate to that one? At least that's what I told my mom, and my mom gave me that look. Well, I don't think so, but you know, I was an only child, so I got coddled into being okay. Well, there was a blind beggar who was in India. He sat on a dusty road day after day after day, hoping that someone would come by and give him a penny. One day as he sat there, he heard the hooves of a thousand camels coming down that dusty road, the pounding away of large elephants, and he knew it was the great Maharaji. He wondered, would he stop? Would he give me a penny? Would he give me something? To his surprise, that great caravan stopped in front of him. He couldn't see, but he knew it was a great Maharaji. As he sat there, he said to the Maharaji, can you give me some pennies? And he said to him, give me some of your rice. He was so angry, he didn't wanna, he wanted to say something, but he knew it would be under penalty of death if he insulted the great Maharaji. So he reached in his bowl and he counted out one, two, three, four, and then five grains of rice. The Maharaji said thank you and he left. As that caravan left and he heard that, that thundering of all those hooves of that, those camels and the pounding away of those elements, he, he got more and angry, more angry. Why would someone so rich ask of me some of my rice? As he sat there, he began to finger his hands through those, the little bowl of rice and he found something hard. One nugget of gold, one grain of rice. A second nugget of gold, a second grain of rice. A third, a fourth, and a fifth. Five grains of rice, five nuggets of gold. He wondered, why didn't I give him more rice? There's gonna come a time when you're gonna ask yourself, why didn't I not give God more? You're gonna hold on to those rice. You're gonna count that rice in your life. 
One, two, three, four, five. Or you can exchange it for gold. See, the gold comes sometimes in the form of living your life for God in such a way that he blesses you in this life and in the life to come. But you determine what the future is going to look like. You determine, will I be a Zadadim or will I be the indifferent? Will I walk with God? Will I love God? Will I know God? Will I do justice? Will I love mercy? Will I be a generous person? Will I be a loving person? That is the message that we have. It's the message the same in Christmas. It's the same 52 weeks out of the year. It all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me right now. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. I want to give you an invitation this morning to receive Christ. You say you might know about Christ, but do you know him? Are you one of the indifferent? Are you one standing outside the gate looking in? Or do you really know him? You say, I know that I am in that category of the Zadadim. You can pray a prayer like this one. Just pray it out loud right where you stand, right where you sit, whether you're watching online or you're sitting outside, wherever you are. Dear Lord Jesus, remember this. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. There's no such thing as a silent Christian. There's only a public, vocal, verbal declaration of Jesus Christ. Amen? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. You say, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved. In your own words, thank him. If you prayed that prayer and you prayed it and you meant it, and your faith ignited with those words, just thank him right now in your own words. Now, if that was your prayer, would you just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, that was my prayer today. Just lift them high all around the room. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. You know, the Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over just one person who comes to faith than 99 righteous people. You know, there's, a, there's great celebration when we come. Now, determine you're going to be a Zadadim. You're going to be righteous before the Lord. You're going to be a, a world changer. You're going to speak up in terms of love and mercy and justice and doing good in your world. Amen? Amen.